Hello, wonderful humans. Welcome to the Self-Adventure Podcast. Thank you so, so much for being here. I know there are plenty of excellent podcasts to choose from, so it is an honor to be in your ears right now. For me, the self-adventure is about discovering rituals, tools, and experiences that encourage self-reflection, self-care, and self-kindness. It is about curiosity, courage, and exploration. I'm your host, Sarah Harney. I'm a maker, writer, and podcast producer, so I adore all things storytelling. I'm also a queer woman, a book lover, a crafting tragic, and a comedy nerd. And I'm fortunate enough to be living and working on beautiful Ghana country in South Australia with my future wife, our spoiled puppy, and soon-to-be human baby. I'm also the creator of The Self-Adventure. The Self-Adventure is about everything you've ever done to learn about yourself, to feel good, to feel joy, and to have more compassion and understanding of yourself and others. So this is a podcast about capturing comfy conversations that foster that curiosity, kindness, and a sense of belonging. Hopefully there'll be gentle light bulb moments or moments of deep resonance for you. The nature of this podcast is not to make you feel like you always need to be in self-improvement mode. You are already enough just as you are. I want to create a business and a podcast that is a safe space a place for big ideas, honest sharing, and most importantly, inclusive language and conversations. I'm always doing my best with the knowledge I have now, but there's always room for learning and improvement. So reach out if there's anything I can do better for you and your community. After creating so many podcasts for other people, it's an absolute honor to be here hosting my own. I really hope that you enjoy what I've created here and I cannot wait to bring you the most beautiful conversations that I can find about self-exploration and the self-adventure. I would also like to take this opportunity to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the traditional lands of the Ghana people and we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We acknowledge the stories, traditions and living cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on this land and recognise that sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Today's episode is with the formidable Angie Cole, another beautiful friend that I met in the US a few years ago when I was travelling and who has since become an incredible coach and friend of mine. It's hard to describe Angie, but this is an attempt. Angie Cole is a force of nature, soft and subtle, fierce and unstoppable. She's a coach and mentor for responsible renegades and rebellious rule followers. Her clients and students would tell you she's one part genius, one part priestess and 100% truth teller. I would also agree with that. Blending a strategic and intuitive approach, Angie's work inhabits the places where life and work intersect. She can help you crunch the numbers while uncovering how your daddy issues are holding you back. Her emerging body of work centers around reorienting our relationship to money, value, and worthiness. Angie was a coach before it was the cool thing to sell online and was raised by mentors and elders who taught her to stay true to the craft. Angie has now wandered her way to thriving as a business owner, guided by her own intuition and no one else's six-step plan. Today, Angie can be found at the foot of Mount Olympus or exploring the streets of Lisbon, and I think actually maybe even moving somewhere else at the moment. 
As a fully nomadic spirit, she is at home in the unknown and unpredictable. This makes her the perfect co-pilot for those with wild ambition and the audacity to do things differently. It is an absolute honor to share this conversation with you today between Angie and myself. Let's get into it. I'm absolutely thrilled to share this conversation with you today, but I wanted to quickly flag that this conversation was actually recorded a few months ago. I know the podcast producer who delayed her own podcast. That's just the way things go, isn't it? It's still an incredible conversation, but if you hear anything that doesn't seem to match up with present day, that is why. I hope you enjoy. So hello, and thank you so much, Angie, for joining me. My first question to you is, who are you right now? Mm, That's a great question. Who am I right now? I am, I am a girlfriend and a partner. That's a big part of my existence right now. I am a coach. Um. Those are the other people that make up a big part of my life right now. Um, I'm a woman just trying to figure shit out. Yep. In in just the most adventurous time ever. Really. Mm-hmm. In terms of unknown frontiers. Yeah, looking at yeah. looking at adventure from that setting, it really is wild times. It is a wild, a wild frontier. So I'm just a, I'm just a girl trying to figure it out. I love and that. be be well. I just want to be well and relaxed and easeful. That has been my theme. Mm, I love that. I think something that I hesitated around creating this podcast and creating the self-adventure in more recent times is that, of course, when I conceptualized it years ago, it was around the good stuff and how to take care of ourselves, Mm. even sort of inside regular life, I suppose. Um, And then when things have gone topsy-turvy, I sort of was thinking about, well, what does it mean inside wild times? And what does it mean when things aren't going as we expected them to? Um, but the more I've sat with it, I think it's relevant now more than ever, kind of, um, in its own way. Yeah. So the question I have for you is, what is something that you've figured out about yourself? It can be recently, it can be 10 years ago, something you've figured out. Oh, goodness. A lot of things. Um, something I've, I've, I guess, is is up for me recently that I'm figuring out is that um, that rest is still really hard for me, or at least it still it still brings up a conflict. Mm. So I'm firmly committed to rest. I have rested more in the last five months than ever before in my life, I have set fierce, non-negotiable, hard boundaries around the spaciousness of my time, like to a ridiculous, what, what has felt like a ridiculous degree in terms of how much time, ex- open expanses of time I'm giving myself to just do nothing, mm-hmm. to um, 
do, I mean, I've done so many jigsaw puzzles. I've lost count. Just really things that are, that have no other redeeming qualities besides rest. And so even though I'm really committed and I'm putting it into practice, it still is bringing up conflicting feelings that I, I don't think I'm alone in this, but I think we have categorically labeled rest as something that indicates a failure. We rest when we're not enough. We rest when we just can't cut it. And that's kind of the thing we have to do to kind of re, you know, recharge right. some battery that couldn't keep up with what needed to happen. So I am unlearning and untangling myself <laughs> from that by mm-hmm. just putting it into practice again to a degree that seems a little, even a little extreme, but I'm just, I'm going for it. Yeah. That it's not something, first of all, it's not something we have to earn, but what I'm noticing in myself and in my clients is we kind of, you know, we come like with this doe eyed um, dismay about, well, I just don't know why I'm so tired or I just don't know why I need to be taking naps right now or getting too much sleep or doing well, duh, like, of course, but we right. don't, right. We've just kind of unconditionally put it in this thing that no matter the circumstances, we shouldn't have to take time to rest. So that's something I'm figuring out that that is still, oh, that is still an edge for me and something that I'm working to reconcile and trying to understand what are all those stories? Where did that come from? What do I really believe about it? Um, and then always, as you know, then how do I translate that into my work to, to help support the folks who are in my world looking to change the way they do life too? I like that you brought up around earning it because mm. I think as much as I have done work on rest and self-care and balance and doing one thing than another, I definitely still feel a sense of I can rest after I've done X or yes, I will take a moment for myself, but only after I've done this, this, and this, or some kind of measurement in my mind, if not enough has happened already in that day that I couldn't possibly rest again. Right. Right. There has to be a legitimized, like we're keeping score. And if A doesn't equal B, then we don't get C. We don't get the rest. We haven't, it hasn't been um, justified. Right. When in actual fact, the more that we're learning about pausing and resetting and doing something else with your mind or doing nothing with your mind, that that actually might fully recharge and replenish and actually mean that whatever you try and achieve after that is way more effective than if you had have just tried to push in the first place. Yep, absolutely. And that's where, you know, especially right now, when we have nothing else to compare this to, we have no other equivalent amount or type of stress that we can say, oh, okay, I get why I'm at kind of the energy level that I'm at. But you know what? That's the fascinating thing. Even when, even when I'm talking to myself or someone else and, <laughs> and actually have them say, what are the things that are happening right now? 
well, I'm, you know, I've just changed a job. I've just started a new relationship. I've just had a new baby and we just moved to a new town and my mom is sick and this. Um, and I'm like, uh-huh. Does that seem like a reasonable combination of things that might mean that you're feeling a little more tired than usual? So that's right. the fascinating thing is we don't actually, that's why I say we've, we've made it categorically a bad thing. We don't even honestly put it up to a logical evaluation. Some, you know what I mean? So like, yes, there's the category right. of like, sometimes you're just tired and you don't know why and you don't have to have a reason and you still get to rest. Yeah. But even outside of that, even when there's a list of 20 good, quote unquote, good reasons, we still deny ourselves Yeah, that biological, spiritual, energetic need for quiet and stillness. Mm. Yeah. And I can't escape the feeling that it is a little bit lazy. Like the yeah. even the work that I do on it, that's still the feeling or the the sort of critic that pops up around, well, what, you're just gonna do nothing all afternoon or yeah. and it's it's industrial complex, it's all those things, it's patterns, it's history, it's it's all that stuff. But as much as we know better, it still can be hard when you're just being a human being inside totally. that conditioning. Yep. Right. That it's lazy, it's indulgent, it is selfish. And that it, it, it's a function of my privilege right? that I get to rest as much as I am right now. And so there can be a conflict of how do I acknowledge that? Because what I don't want to go is pre, go and preach that every person should be taking uh, three days off a week. Well, not every person has a set of life circumstances that make that possible. Now, do I think that that's something we should be working on so that everybody gets to rest as much as they need to? Absolutely. But that's not where we are in this moment. Right. But does that mean that by me not resting, I'm helping anybody out? No. Right. Cause it's the other thing we do, especially as women is we kind of martyr ourselves and put ourselves on the, you know, on the spire to, that somehow me being exhausted is going to help somebody else out. Mm. Acknowledging that we do have the privilege with our set of life circumstances to control how much time we might be working. But yes, as you were saying, that not everyone is in that position. So I think, I think where the coaching world and where the mm, spiritual and, and personal development world can really go wrong is by, just painting with one brush for everyone to say, well, the answer is everyone needs to rest more. I agree. I would love to, and I hope I'm being part of creating a world where everyone gets to rest more. But the, the reality is we don't live in that world right now where everyone has access to the same amount of downtime and space and comfort and freedom to be able to choose that consistently. Mm. So I think that's an important part of the conversation to acknowledge those differences and why they're there and where they come from and what we can do about it. Yeah, absolutely. And how can we create a situation where that is more possible for more people? Right. Right. But within that, that it's not part of my anti-racism work isn't to feel guilty about Mm -hmm. being able to rest more. That isn't helpful to anyone. 
it's helpful to acknowledge that part of the reason why I have that is because of inequities based on all kinds of privilege that I occupy, but then do something about it. (laughs) But one (laughs) of those things is not like in order to do something about it, I also need to be rested. I also need to have (laughs) the capacity to do that. So just feeling bad about it isn't actually helpful. Yeah. And I think, as you were saying before, that martyring ourselves is not helpful either. Right. And that can be a trope that we fall into sometimes too. Right. Absolutely. Mm. My next one for you, which kind of extends outwards a little bit, but what does the self-adventure mean to you? Mm. So adventure, it's been... (laughs) As someone who is quite adventurous in, I guess, a conventional sense, um, going new places, trying new things, putting myself in unknown circumstances, that has obviously not been possible in the same way for the last several months. So really since, yeah. you know, the beginning of March, I've been in one place and I haven't been mm. in one place like that for a really <laughs> long time. I am... I have been a a digital nomad for almost four years now. So really full-time, not having one place to live and just living where I am and working where I am. So pretty early on, I had to have a talk with myself (laughs) about what that was going to mean. I mean, none of us knew in March how long this was going to be or what it was going to look like. But I knew at least at that moment I was going to be in place in a place for a month. And so I just had to talk with myself about, okay, how do I keep a sense of adventure? How do I keep a sense of newness? Because to me, that's, that's at the core of adventure is doing something unknown, doing something new. Mm. And so my self adventure recently has been just that to look, to look for adventure anywhere and to recognize that, Adventure is more of a spirit than it is any one, any one activity. Oh, I love that. So it's, for me, it's exploring the unknown. And for most of us, myself included, it's, it um, has definitely been a practice I've cultivated. The unknown is where our fear lives. Our bodies are actually, and our brains are actually wired to avoid the unknown. And so we will stay in, we will stay in a known, uncomfortable, unhealthy, unhelpful situation, sometimes for decades. Yeah. Just to avoid the the new thing that would be unknown. So for me, adventure is a muscle we build and a practice that we have because when we, when we're able to make friends with the unknown, when we're able to kind of reorient our relationship to that fear or nervousness about the unknown, it just means we can be, we can really be free to explore anything. Yeah. Our own internal landscape, the stories that are keeping us stuck um, the things we think we know about ourselves. So one of the adventures, I'm laughing because one of the adventures I've gone on since we've been uh, quarantined in our homes is 
to re-examine my relationship with routine and um, schedules and structure because I have largely um, not just avoided them, but really believed that I couldn't do them. Really Mm. had a lot of evidence to support the the story that that I'm just not somebody who can do those things. Um, And so that's the adventure I've been going on from the beginning is what would a morning ritual or, or rhythm the word routine still doesn't really feel good to me, but <laughs> what's a morning rhythm that would feel really good? So I've, I have those, some of those practices in place, which was a whole new frontier for me. But because I know that I can do things that are uncomfortable because I've practiced it over and over and over again, there's nothing I can't try on just as an experiment, yeah. right? I don't have, doesn't mean I have to keep doing it, but it means I can try it out with a completely open mind, let go of everything I think I know about that thing and have a new experience with it. Yeah. Perceiving it as an experiment is such Mm a permission to be a little bit open and it's okay. It's not forever. Right. Right. To just, just see it with new eyes. That is to me, that's also at the core of adventure that, and how we can create it anywhere especially within ourselves. I mean, the self-adventure. Self is the place yeah. where we think we know it all. <laughs> right? We think we know ourselves. We think we know what's true. It's so funny because I've been thinking about this the last few days um, and it's really relevant right now. So I have a lot of experience in my background in the world of 12 steps and that world of recovery and those kinds of principles and practices which has really evolved a lot for me over the decades. But Mm. one of the things that was always one of my favorite parts is there is um, there's a prayer or a mantra or a a practice, however you want to call it called the set aside prayer, or at least that's kind of the shorthand for it. And it's, it is a set of words kind of asking for, and you know, I don't want to get too much into this, but like God, who, however you define God, that can be yourself, <laughs> that can be clouds in the sky, whatever that means to you. But, but just kind of a meditation around, you know, please help me set aside everything I think I know about myself, about um, schedules, about relaxing, about rest. So you can kind of include in this meditation, whatever it is you're kind of struggling to see differently. This is really right. great when you're struggling to see another person differently that you think you know. Right. Um, yeah. And at the end or at the beginning, you always include yourself. So please help me set aside everything I think I know about myself so that I can have a new experience with it. And mm. I loved that. Yeah, I love that the first time I heard it. And it's something that's now I think just woven into how I do life and how I do business, certainly how I run my business all the time. I'm kind of looking for what do I think I know about this thing? And is that really true? How do I know it's true? You know, and, and what else do I want? If I don't like that thing, how can I do that thing differently? Yeah, absolutely. And I think in terms of self-development and personal development and anytime I learn anything about myself Mm -hmm. or in business, I think I like to think 
okay, that bit's done then or that, that bit's sorted out or, okay, great, right. that's a level up or a mindset shift or, or whatever. And lots of that language is, is used in that world. And I love that and I get excited about that. But sometimes I can be too quick to presume that then it won't need reviewing and that that bit's sorted when, in truth, very few things are locked thing. I'll probably need to review and build upon each thing and no lesson is, you know, truly done with, unfortunately. <laughs> right. And actually that's the only point at which it becomes problematic. That's when it actually yeah. becomes <laughs> a limitation is when we think we know, when we think we've finally nailed or defined that thing. Yeah. That's when it actually begins to be a limitation instead of an opportunity. But that yeah, it takes absolutely. practice. It takes practice to do to do that. To not get um to not get so attached to the things we really love. You know, mm. we do it on both sides. We get we push away the things that we think are bad things or less desirable things. But man, once we get a good thing, when we get something we think we need or that we really want and we really work for, we can get really attached to it. And then we, we stop seeing the thing. And, you know, this has certainly um, been a central theme in my, my current relationship, my romantic relationship. We've been trying to navigate that from the beginning of just not getting so not getting attached because as soon as you get I think in romantic relationships as soon as we get attached to okay this is my person I'm going to keep this Mm. person I want this person I love this person (laughs) then the relationship becomes about keeping the thing and not disrupting the thing this kind of third entity we create called a relationship and we stop seeing the other person we stop saying the really hard, important, honest thing because, because to do that would disrupt the relationship. So we can't do that. It would potentially you know, risk this thing that we want to keep. But when we do yeah. that, we actually pollute the thing. We start to kill the thing. Yeah, such a great irony that the more you obsessively cling to something, or yep. the third, the third entity thing that you've created, um, you're actually probably doing more damage to all three parties. Absolutely, yeah. Well, and you just start to create an illusion that isn't even the thing. You start to create the illusion <laughs> of the relationship. Yeah, yeah. It's a fourth right? thing now. <laughs> right, right. Completely absent, or or mostly absent from the really honest things that aren't being said which just means it's not, it's not real. You're both kind of living in this made up relationship that is missing the things that are really honest and true. Yeah. That makes me wonder about that, how that comes up in your life and in your coaching work around any time someone says something like, I don't know who I am anymore, or I want to go back to how it used to be, or I lost myself, like that concept. I'd love to know what you think about that. So I'm actually doing some rebranding work right now, which is asking mm-hmm. me to 
look into all these questions in my mm-hmm. in my business. So one of the themes that <clears throat> has come up really clearly as I'm looking back through client notes and kind of intake questions and things like that is that a lot of people come to me looking for clarity. And that's, it's often about that. What do I want? Who am I? What's my purpose? Um, you know, something's not working and I need a clear next step, that kind of thing. And so I've been thinking a lot about, well, what is, what is clarity? How do we get clarity? And what's in the way of us feeling clear? And I think that's a similar, I think it's a similar answer to how do I find myself? Well, you, yourself hasn't gone anywhere right there right but often um one of two things has happened one we used to have a clear sense of who we are and then you know big things happened that shifted our identity we um had kids we changed partners we changed jobs those kind of big life-defining things about us we had some um some sort of change in our physical or medical health you know, mental health kind of scenario. Yeah. So something was really changed um, or clouded that sense that we had of self. But very often, the folks who come to me anyway, what's, what's actually happened is they had a sense of themselves that was externally defined. Yeah. And the thing they thought was their their sense of self was actually their identity wrapped up in the job or wrapped up in the partner or wrapped up in the family or whatever that is. And then something there shifted and then they're left with, well, that's, that's who I thought I was. Who am I now? And so what the, the form that that takes in my work is just trying to, to understand what are all those layers that we have used in the past to create identity that are external to us. And it's not that we, you know, it's not that we're not impacted or shaped by those things outside of us. But for most of us, especially women, we've been defined by those things to such a degree that we haven't even really created a true sense of self. Yeah, we've actually never truly cultivated it potentially because that conditioning can start pretty early on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so clarity is about just coming home, coming home to yourself. And that often starts with a deceptively simple question. Um, what do I want? Yeah. What do I want? And it's, it is humbling and fascinating how difficult that question can be to answer. Yeah, I think one of the things that I always used to write down um, whenever we've worked together is say what's true. Mm-hmm. And I, it seems like a straightforward concept to tell the truth, but yeah. I don't think I had really acknowledged how much I was actually filtering off for someone else's behalf or just yeah. not saying something for the sake of the, the non-confrontation or just doing it someone else's way because that was the path of least resistance essentially. And as someone who would like to think that they're quite strong and opinionated and courageous, 
I still wasn't really saying what was true. And right. I, especially in, in, in work and in client work and then in like more intimate relationships. And I think it's been quite an experiment and a journey in if I'm ever upset, like when that mm. sort of that bubbling feeling of I can't do this or I can't meet that deadline or I can't do that thing, it what I've been practicing sitting with is, well, how can you say what's true right now? Like what is actually going on? And probably who have you said who have you said a fib to or who have you right. promised something that actually did not line up with you at all? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Right, because we've we've been so heavily um, socialized and programmed to shape our words, our desires, our expressions to fit something external that we don't even know what is true for us. Yeah. There's a huge spectrum there, but a lot of folks sit, occupy a space on that spectrum where they can't even say what's true or what it is they want because they've met, like they've really never created that pathway to even feeling what that is. So if you're listening to this podcast and you feel that way, (laughs) you're so, 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 so not alone. It's, it's not you, you know, we didn't, we didn't decide that we were going to be disconnected from our feelings and our desires and our truth. We've been, systematically programmed that way in particular as women to not have needs, to not have wants, to not, you know, I remember several years ago having the epiphany that having a need didn't mean I was needy. Mm. And that I had, I had made that connection my whole life that any sort of need put me in the category of needy. And the last thing I wanted to be was a needy woman because nobody wants a needy woman around. Uh-huh. Right. Um, and that was just, that was a function of the family I grew up in. There was one person in my family who was allowed to have needs. That was my dad. Right. And right. so everybody else's needs were just a liability. Were just, you know, something that got in the way of, of his needs being met. So yeah, it's, it doesn't, um, we're not a burden just because we have needs or desires or wants. Yeah, inconvenient was what yeah. I was thinking. That if yeah. there is a primary focus of needs, then yeah. your needs are inconvenient. Absolutely. Right. So so if you feel that way, if you're still walking around feeling like your needs are inconvenient, it, I think one of the things we do to ourselves is then we we take that on as a character flaw or some some sort of like um, yeah. constitutional failing, right? That I'm somehow <laughs> weak. <laughs> I didn't decide that. I didn't pick that. It was, it, I inherited it. But now that I'm aware of it, I can begin to change it. I can begin to question. And so the first part of that is just starting to acknowledge what's true. Even if you're at a place where you can't say it to anybody else, that's okay. Yeah. Just start to say it to yourself. Just start to notice those moments when something doesn't feel quite right. My biggest, my first flag is resentment. When I start mm. to feel grumpy and resentful about doing something, it is always because I've said yes when I mean no, or I've said no when I mean yes. 
Yeah. So that's just start there. Just start with <laughs> acknowledging that there's an incongruence between your truth and what's actually happening. And then begin to just ask, you know, having the courage, and it does take courage, just to start to ask yourself that question. Even if you do, even if nothing else changes, just start to know what is true. Mm, absolutely. I think something else that I have realized as someone who's quite, I'm a sharer and a conversationalist, and I do enjoy sharing and talking and being with people, but then at the same time, recharging a lot solo and realizing that I don't have to check everything with everyone all the time. And we definitely did this in our coaching work of if something pops up, whether it's a big, you know, business decision versus should I go to the library right now? Like on the whole spectrum of decision-making, actually just asking myself first And yes, you can maybe get consultants (laughs) or guidance from the the broader community, sure. Um, But mostly, what do you actually think? Because I'm such a -er (laughs) checker-innerer. Yes. Right. Just beginning that, that, building that muscle and that pathway first. You're absolutely right, is is how it all begins. Yeah. Um, What do I actually think about this? Yes. Right. That yeah. you could possibly be a credible source of information. <laughs> you might be the one who knows best for you. Right. Oh, right. What a radical thought. <laughs> and you're absolutely right. Then there might, it might make sense to get other perspectives, especially if it's something you don't have direct experience with, but you always have an opinion. There's always something you think about it or feel about it. Yeah. And knowing what that is, um, the other, the beautiful next thing that, that inevitably comes from that is then you start to notice patterns. You start mm. to notice patterns about the things I tend to like or the things, the general things I tend to not like. Um, I, I recently, again, I'm doing this um, brand coaching exploration process that's been really fun and challenging but one of the things we did is just go back to what are my core values and at first I was like oh is this gonna we have to do a whole thing is this gonna take a long time am I gonna have to go soul searching but no really in about 10 minutes with just a little bit of conversation I was actually super clear on my core values and one of them is ease and I only know that because I've I've over time you know, created a life of ease because I tended to, when I really checked in with myself about what I wanted to do or not do, I found that those were not just, you know, it's not that I want everything to be easy. No. But when I pick the things I like and want and that feel good over time, that just creates ease. I'm, I'm not forcing things that don't feel good. I'm following things that do feel good. And so even when I'm working really hard or digging in or really create, you know, doing that gritty work of creating something new, it feels easeful because it's in alignment for me. It's something I want. And so there's not all this resistance and resentment and drag. And I get to experience ease, even when I'm doing something new and hard. Mm. Yeah. There's sort of, almost two ways of looking at 
challenges or sort of Mm. leveling up or anything like that. I like that you're talking about creation because creation can be tricky and and hard and scary and there's parts of it that you don't know about so that can bring up all kinds of discomfort but if it's if it's something that you did check in with yourself around first that's all for kind of the greater sense of creating it as opposed to something that yeah you said yes to out of obligation or similar and then you do get filled with resentment and um obstacles in a different way so yeah being very in tune with yourself um is super important and I do love how you do that right because the other thing that will motivate us to create things which is not not an unpowerful motivator is fear we will create things because we're afraid of what will happen if we don't Mm. but that it's it is, first of all, so exhausting to do it that way. And it is yeah. never, 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 never sustainable. It will always require more effort, more energy, more money, more time to create something out of desperation. And I mean, hmm, desperation is a tricky one because sometimes getting desperate is what will motivate me yes. uh, to do something that is my truth, but is scary. But, you know, I see folks all the time, just had a conversation with a woman the other day. She's going to create this new program. I've got to create this program. Are you sure? (laughs) Why are you, why are you creating this program? She's creating this program because that's what coaches do. You got to create the program. You got to get the group thing. You got to stop trading your time for money. Uh Are you sure? Really? Like, what if you just went and got a couple clients? What about that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so we... We often, and I would actually, the language I use is that's really more construction than Mm. creation. We will construct things, meaning we, you know, we have the blueprint and we know what it has to do and we will, we will artificially construct something. And that's, that has a really different feeling from when something is created organically from a place of desire because it's the next um, it's the next juicy thing that wants to be born or wants to be created. That stuff, yes, it still comes with discomfort of up-leveling and discomfort of expanding. That's always going to be there. But the effort required is just, is really then just being with the feelings of discomfort and, yeah. and you know, being visible in a new way and being seen in a new way. But it, it's not the, that kind of like forceful heavy lift that something requires when we're artificially constructing something. Yeah. I love that distinction. It, it makes me think about how when, whenever we kind of get chatting about life and business and also as we've worked together in a multitude of ways Mm -hmm. over our time, I love talking to you about abundance and about money. And we did touch on it a little bit before we jumped on. So I want to I want to check in with you around what what that means to you and how it kind of links with shifting patterns and and where we've come from and what we're creating for ourselves. Um, I don't think I have a specific question, but give me <laughs> your, your Angie Cole abundance uh, instincts at the moment. Well, funny you should ask because <laughs> <laughs> um, 
you know, we actually didn't, didn't plan this at all. But the, the thing I'm really excited about creating right now, and this hasn't been true. I haven't been creating, I haven't been creating shit for like five months. I have been <laughs> zero, uh, what's the word? Aspiration. Like I've had zero big plans. You're in the but, COVID bunk. Yeah, definitely. Um, my aspirations have been about baking. <laughs> and puzzles. And puzzles. That's it. Taking on yeah. some really challenging puzzles, to be fair. <laughs> um, but this body of work, as you know, that's been kind of mm, percolating, marinating, gestating for a while is around money, value, and worth. Mm. And I've been obsessed for like seven years now about understanding the difference between value and worth. And I never set out to be, actually didn't even set out to be a business coach, but I certainly yeah. didn't set out to be a money mindset coach. But that has so strongly emerged as a theme in my work. So uh, here's, here's the nutshell version because, oh, you'll be excited to hear this too. Oh. I think I... I think I kind of accidentally wrote the outline to my book Ooh, the other day. Yes. Okay. Around money. Yeah. Uh-huh. Money, value, and worth. Uh-huh. So I love it. What we've done is that we've collapsed those three things into one thing. Because of consumerism, because of capitalism, because of the industrial complex, all of those things. Yeah. We've conflated our money, value, and worth so that so many of us, when we, when we try to go out and make more money or ask for more money or create more money, more abundance, we get stopped because we're, we actually don't believe that we are worthy of having more abundance, mm. more comfort, more ease, which is one of the things that money can bring. So yeah. We can't go make more money because we're still dealing with a fundamental worthiness wound or disparity or confusion. And so when we begin to be able to separate those things, my money can flow freely in both directions and I can create more abundance. I can expand my container of money because I've expanded my container of worthiness. Mm. And then nestled in between those two is value. And so value is, is a relative thing. I get paid money for coaching because it's a valuable relationship. It's a valuable container that I create with people. And value is determined in proximity. So my coaching is not valuable to everyone. I don't um, I don't know. I don't want to coach someone who's just trying to make the cheapest tennis shoe. Like that's not, I would not be valuable to that person as a coach right. or would they to me as a client. But right. I am really valuable. So value is an exchange. It's an agreed contextual exchange. So without getting too far deep, because you're going to have to read the book. But um, so value is an agreement and it requires, so it requires two people. I have something that I want to offer. You have something that I want and need, and you're going to exchange some sort of um, value for that, most often in the form of money, because we've used money as a short, just kind of a shorthand for value. 
Yeah. But when that's connected to my sense of worthiness, that's where we run into problems because I can't go and I can't go out and look for a clean agreement about my value if what I'm really looking for is someone to validate my worthiness. Yeah. <laughs> right? That I'm not okay. I'm not fundamentally a good, worthy human unless I'm being valuable to someone. Mm-hmm. That's really when we run into trouble. That's sure. when we get so invested in defining ourselves by those external things because worthiness, nobody has to re- agree. It is not contextual. Nobody else has to validate that. That is a, that is an in-house job. It is something that I cultivate. Um, and, and mm-hmm. it's actually a finite thing. We don't create more or less of it. We just connect more or less and claim more or less of it. Right. So when we have separated those things, then our abundance can flow freely because we're not trying to use money as a shorthand for feeling worthy. I'm just Mm -hmm. worthy regardless of the money that's in my bank account, of the clients I have or don't have. And when I'm in that seat of of self-worth, it also then frees me up to say what's true because I can say what's true without being afraid that if somebody else doesn't agree with that, then I am somehow not worthy or not going to be okay. My okayness is my own domain. Yeah. Right. And so then I can do that. And then I can be more bold in the way that I define my value. I can get really honest about my value because I'm not scared or feeling embarrassed about my, about feeling really worthy. Right. Um, yeah. Right. Or that if someone says no, that's actually just because that package is not right for them, not yes. anything to do with, yeah, your worthiness. There you go. Exactly. Mm. Oh, so it does, it's big yeah. Stuff. yeah, it's not filled with all those landmines that we have been walking around with. Yeah, And then that just, that just naturally expands to my money because there are lots of ways I can be valuable. Um, when I, when I unhinge those from only money being the way to do that, that's one way I can create lots of abundance, right? The money is not the only vehicle for abundance. And to me, abundance is just a feeling of freedom and expansiveness around um, my security, my comfort, um, having my needs met. And yes, money is one of the required ways that we do that because so far my cell phone company will not take trades. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They need money. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Is that kind of in the vein? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, oh, I love that. And I'm very excited about that news. Um, yeah, I just, I think that's something that I have learned definitely through working with you, but especially even, even more recent times when it is such a tumultuous time, but then things are happening differently. Um, obviously in Australia, we're very blessed to have some government support. I know that's not true all around the world, but there's different sort of levels of things happening and things have changed worth and changed value. I mean, if that's not tells you anything, I mean, even just thinking about what dollars are (laughs) and that we just made all of that up. Right. um, Exactly. That's, (laughs) that's always a huge lesson in, wait, we just invented this. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But just sitting with that it can flow, money, I mean, can flow in and out easily. I have spent more and then received more. And that has been an absolute game changer for me um, in the sense that I'm being more deliberate at what I'm spending it on, but just not clinging so hard. It's kind of like what we were talking about before and obsessing about it and kind of letting it come and go. And it seems to be doing that more, you know, more frequently and and more amazingly and that I can have my sense of accomplishments and my pride in myself and my self-worth completely separate to that. Um, and it's, it, it's an absolute game changer for sure. And as it keeps happening, then I do value my time mm-hmm. and my expertise more. So then I happen to charge more for it. Like it's just the perfect yes. <laughs> um, momentum. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and then when you're not so constricted with your money, you're also freed up to be more generous with your money and your time. And you're able to create more abundance with more people by letting your money flow in and out more easily. Money is just, and this is pretty woo-woo, this took me a while to get on board with, but <laughs> really money is energy. Yeah. And so when we tighten it up on the outflow, when we try to keep it from going out, we also inherently keep it from coming in. You can't yeah. be selectively restricted. And... Good news, bad news. <laughs> my, experience, my experience has shown that the direction you have to loosen up first is the outgo. Think of it. <laughs> yeah. I know, scary and hard, but it doesn't have to be big things. It just has to be, you know, I don't know. I would normally, you know, pick the $2 option and actually I'm going to pick the $7 option because that's what I really want. You kind of skipped over it. Um, kind of offhandedly, but being deliberate about the outgo mm. is absolutely the place of power. Yeah. Because we have all been told all the things we need to buy and have in order to be okay, in order to be worthy, you better have those new shoes that everybody else is wearing. You better have that shiny new computer. You better have that fancy car or that whatever. Yeah. When when you're not trying to use that stuff to feel okay, to feel good enough, there's so much more available to be deliberate about only saying yes to those things that yeah. feel good. Going back to the truth of it. Um, yeah, that's and again, so true. This is not saying that you get to choose whether you pay for electricity. I mean, there are some people who are choosing that, but there's a lot involved. I'm not one of those <laughs> And that, yeah. again, is a, there's a lot of privilege involved in being able to make some of those choices around just the foundational things. But so many of us have so much option and opportunity and privilege around deciding what we use our money for or not, that that is absolutely the first place to, in really practical ways, create more money is just stop spending it on shit that doesn't matter, that doesn't actually make you feel deeply good. We spend money on stuff that gives us short-term good, but that's, that's honestly, that stuff is just about helping us feel less bad, hmm. not about feeling really good. 
when you can begin yeah. to distinguish between those two, something that is deeply nourishing and actually feels good because it is connected and in alignment with your truth versus this bottle of wine is just going to help me feel less bad about the fact that I'm saying yes when I mean no. Uh, when we cut mm. out that stuff, then we just have so much more free flowing cash to do the things we really want. Yeah. And actually, now that you've got me to really think about that, that's absolutely what I've been doing in more recent times of either investing in things that are for me truly in terms of consultants or coaches or business investments and groups and things that do make me feel really good or things that do have that sort of everlasting effect of say I'm dairy free at the moment and I bought the fancy vegan cheese and the fancy vegan chocolate and it's triple what I would normally spend but it makes me feel really good because I don't then have a reaction and it sort of contributes to that broader sense of yeah I I deserve the fancy vegan cheese that's not going to make me feel like crap right. um or things that are more environmentally friendly or you know body products that are good for my skin or even more recently um businesses owned by people of color and I've found all these yeah. incredible artists online and I'm getting like there's a delivery of a card or a jewelry or a candle arriving every day and I have never felt more joy it's just yeah. the best and I think you're right it, it has that that positive vibes ar- around it um so it has that longer lasting feeling of goodness I guess Right. It's actually going to nourish and grow something and make it stronger instead of just. Yeah. The quick fix feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then back to the cheese and chocolate example. When I feel really good, I'm not eating chocolate to try to feel better. Yeah. Right. I don't need, I don't need a big piece of cheese to try to make myself feel better when I'm just feeling Mm -hmm. great. Right. My relationship with those things changes. Yeah. Yeah. Ironically, then the craving is lower because Mm -hmm. I've kind of just reworked the whole view of it. Yeah. And and reworked the reason why you're eating the chocolate. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Oh, I feel like you and I could go on that tangent for hours Mm. and hours on on end. For sure. Well, we've reached the point where I can choose a self-adventure card for you. So let me consult the deck. Ooh, all right, here we go. Are you ready? I'm ready. This one's called Clever and Capable. You, my love, are clever and capable and have gifts to share. You are not flawless, no one is, but you're doing your best with what you have and what you know. You're ever ever evolving and improving but you're already also superb. There is something about the unique combination of you that is exactly what is needed. You can be at service, being well-paid, and be deeply appreciated for your offering. Keep showing up and shining your light. I feel like that one was inspired by you. (laughs) Very possibly. (laughs) What a full circle moment. Uh Yeah, clever, clever and capable. I mean, as I am coming to terms with the the idea I mean I've been saying I'm going to write a book about value and worth for a long Mm. time but as I'm coming to terms with the the idea that actually it's all right here and it's ready um 
Yeah. You know, bumping up against all kinds of things that other people have written, already written money mindset books and they've done it better than me and they have a bigger following and they blah, 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 blah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Glennon Doyle and her book Untamed. I mean, that has mm-hmm. brought up all kinds of feelings for me. My, my business is called Untaming the Wild. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, crap. Like, she's, <laughs> it's Glennon. She's already written the book. I can't, I can't talk about untaming anymore. She's already wrote untamed. (laughs) But actually what's really true. And as I've, as I've talked with more clients and just champions of my work, what they're reflecting is, yes, it's a great book. And there's so many elements that aren't there in terms of how does this apply to business? How does this apply to money? How does this apply to, um, you know, kind of more, more, I don't want to say practical, but just, yeah, more kind of just um, other elements. Yeah. Right. Right. So yes, I'm leaning into my clever and capable and getting excited about this new um, expression that's going to be created. Mm. Mm, I love that. That's probably a good uh, segue to ask if people want to learn more about you and find you on the internets or wherever, um, what are all your handles and things? That's a great question. Well, the easiest one-stop shop to find me and my work is just untamingthewild.com. And that will have links to all my social medias. You can... um, sign up for newsletters there. Although, especially right now in the quarantine bunker, nothing's going out, but that's okay. (laughs) You will get a few goodies uh, when you, when you leave your information there. And there's also something fun that, that people can be part of if they want. That's really growing. It's called study hall. It's something I do once a month and it's just a feel good co-working time. So if there are projects that people have had a hard time getting started with, or they just need some accountability to get stuff done that they've been putting off or avoiding, then that's what study hall is about. It's just a really good gathering of people. And we all just come together and work on the things. Lots of taxes get filed there. Lots of financial (laughs) Lots of money management happens, lots of writing or sending the email you've been avoiding sending. So that's yeah. all on my website too and something that folks are welcome to. It's, there's no cost involved. It's just something I create and offer because it feels good to me and because I needed that accountability once upon a time. So Perfect. I love that. Thank you. And thank you so much for speaking with me today. It's um it's a it's an extra special feeling to to speak to someone on a new project of mine that you and I worked together for a long time. And yeah, it's just such an honor to have you. Well, it's an honor to be here and I'm just so proud of everything you're creating and all the ways in which you are expanding and doing your work in the world because it's so, so important now more than ever. Mm, Thank you, Angie. I appreciate you. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you got something out of it. And I hope that you are feeling less alone because really that is all the point of this. I want you to have those mini light bulb moments or that deep resonance, as I said at the top. So I hope that that 
happened for you today. Before you go, I want to tell you a little bit more about the self-adventure business and our first product, the self-adventure cards. It's an oracle style deck of 28 pep talk style poems that encourage you to sit with yourself, pause, reflect, and move from the wondering to the way forward. So if that sounds good to you, you can find all about them at theselfadventure.com. And I would love for you to come and find us on Instagram at theselfadventure. Again, thank you so much for being here. I look forward to being in your ears on the next episode. And until then, enjoy the adventure.